0: really moved this weekend by um, what I feel like the Lord is speaking and saying. It, it, here's the interesting thing, and that is a lot of times I'll go to a place and and um, a message has been burning in my heart for a long time. John Wesley said, you, you don't know if a message is good until you've preached at least a dozen times. And sometimes people will say, and I will say this to Lamar, is, you know, preach preach things more than once. Like, preach things a lot. It, John Osteen used to say he preached a message and he preach the same one the next week and the next week, the next week. And people would go, why aren't you going like, to preach something else? And he goes, I'm going to keep doing this until you start living it. And when you start living this message, then I'll move on to something else. <laughs> it's almost like we put something out there. You know, if, if, I, if I get up here, we play a song. Let's say you guys play a song, like three-minute song. As you can hear from Josh and Lacey here in a little bit, but these guys get up here and play a three minute song, and then you you run out, could you go out and play that song? Could you recite it word for word? it's only three minutes long, and we get up sometimes and we talk about ideas and concepts about god and 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 bring out some wisdom hopefully some wisdom and revelation, you know and we 'll talk for half an hour to an hour, and then we expect you to be able to remember it and it's, it's hard to do so uh, it, it's I I like to repeat messages because every time I preach, I preach to myself. And usually about the 10th time that I've preached it, I start to understand what I'm saying. So I did something this weekend I've never done before, and that is I preached a message I've never preached before, and I did it twice in a row. Really weird. Really, really weird. Yeah, it's strange. It's a strange thing. But I think, you know, I'm up here. We We can experiment, right? We're in the middle of Winesburg, Ohio. People have asked me, "Where are you at?" I'm in Weinsberg. They're like, "No idea where that is." I tried to Google the church, couldn't find. It. Anyway, so good place to experiment. But uh, so I'm really kind of in awe, though, of what the Lord's been speaking to me this in coming up here and this weekend. Because tonight I, I just want to share with you just a few minutes on something that'll set these guys up tonight, and it's nothing I've ever actually preached about. And I'm I'm like. What? Something totally fresh and new that I've never actually given language for, but it's only been locked up in here and here. And and, um, and I want you to take and turn, if you would, if you get your Bibles out, and turn with me over to Acts chapter 8. And I want to talk about, again, this is a story I've never actually preached out of before. I've been very fascinated lately with how God speaks to us, divine guidance. A lot of times I think one of the things that we we really, really have an interest in as people is is how to hear from God and then what it looks like to respond to the voice of the Lord. What does it look like when when the Lord speaks a word to us or gives us a nudge? How how does he speak? Well, in in Psalm 32, actually he says, I I will guide you in the way you should go. And then he contrasts two different kinds of guidance ways he guides. One of the ways he says is, I will guide you with my eye. And then he goes on to say, don't be like a horse that has to be guided by a bit and bridle. I would prefer, quite honestly, the bit and the bridle method. Because then I would have no question about it at all. See, the problem with guidance by eye is it's so subtle. You say, I don't understand. What do you mean guidance by eye? Do you have a mom... Have you ever been at dinner? Remember when you were a kid and you like acted up at dinner? She didn't have to say a word. All she had to do was give you a look. Some of you right now are picturing that look. I'm sorry, I'd see the, the terror just struck into your heart. I, I get it too. I mean, My mom, all she had to do was just look at me. Like, she had this look. She said so much without saying a word at all. So when I see God say, I will guide you with my eye, I get it. But it's subtle, and it requires a level of intimacy to know his heart. It actually requires me to focus on his face. All right, so there's a subtlety to the guidance of God. And this guy named Philip in Acts chapter 8 He's kind of become an expert in this. We don't know a whole lot about Philip, by the way. He's one of my heroes in this scripture, and I wish we could see more of his life, because he's really amazing. Early in Acts chapter 8, there's only three stories we have about Philip. In one instance, he solves a problem with food. In another instance, he goes into a town, and he starts preaching the gospel, and then mighty miracles just start busting out, and tons of people believe including this local guy who was like a well-known sorcerer, magician, and he ends up traveling with Philip for a time and follows him around. Philip has an incredible ministry, but it seems like Philip's entire life is culminating in one moment. It wasn't all about him impacting this entire region. That, That only gets a small mention in the scriptures. The biggest story about Philip is a single moment that actually created a movement. And I want you to read with me over here in in Acts chapter 8, in verse 26, is where we're going to pick this up. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture, and then I want to talk to you just a little bit about it. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. And he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, who had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Then Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how can I unless somebody guides me? He invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage which he was reading was he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as the lamb before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who will declare or relate his generation from his life his life was removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. An answer, I pray that every one of you can say from your heart and if you haven't tonight would be a good night to do that and he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water philip as well as the eunuch and he baptized him when they came up out of the water the spirit of the lord snatched philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him and went on his way rejoicing i I like that it's you imagine the guys like comes up out of the water and the guy who's just baptized you is gone That's exactly what happens. And Philip suddenly finds himself a couple of zip codes over, which is so cool when you stop and think about that. Uh, Let me just kind of go through this story with you. The first thing in verse 26 is Philip gets guided by an angel of the Lord. I think all of us would like that. That'd be nice. That's the bit and bridle method. An angel comes to you and says, hey, go do this. I've had a handful of angelic encounters in my life, very, very small amount. And, and here's what I've discovered about angels. First off, they're real. But second, you need to know they're a little bit awkward. They're like socially awkward. It's almost like the orientation system for how to deal with humans in heaven is somewhat lacking. Because all of my interactions with angels have been like, they're weird. They're just, they're just kind of strange. They just stare at you. Sometimes they'll say stuff that you just freaks you out, I mean, things like that. And, and here's the crazy part. A lot of times they look just like regular people. You say, really, is that true? They won't have like big wings and be flying around? No. As a matter of fact, uh, in, in the New, New Testament, it says, uh, be careful how you treat strangers because many of you have entertained angels without even knowing it. I would guarantee you, I would absolutely guarantee you that all of you have had an angelic encounter whether you know it or not. How many of you have had an angelic encounter and you know it? Okay. I would pray that, that God opens your eyes to be aware that uh, you, you actually have more angelic activity happening around you than you can imagine. It's true. An angel comes to Philip. Philip doesn't get freaked out by this. It's just a way that he's discovered that the Lord guides him. And he tells him, get up and go south. Now he gets, he gets to this road and he sees this guy. And he's in a chariot, and he's reading out of the scriptures. So one of the amazing things about this part here is you need a few things in order to, to see, I, I would say, a, a moment happen that creates a movement. And one of them is divine direction. Philip gets this from an angel. Then he finds this man who has a very willing heart. See, if you came drug kicking and screaming into this room tonight, you're not probably not going to get a whole lot from God. Uh, at best, you may get some entertainment value out of the things that happen in here tonight. But if God stirs something in you and you have a hunger for His presence and you want more, amazing things can happen through a hungry heart. And and so now Philip gets this this guy who's reading out of Isaiah. Here's the other part. There's the presence of the scriptures involved. Uh, I I love 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 this book. I have I have grown to be so dependent upon this book that this book does not confine God. It reveals him. It it unveils him. And God is bigger than the book. He won't violate the book, but he is bigger than the book. And just when you think you've seen the end of what God can do in the book, he'll violate all the lists to do something completely unexpected that just blows your mind. Um... scriptures, the presence of the scriptures is there. He's reading out of Isaiah. But here's the verse I want to just camp on for a second. Verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Okay. Now when it says the spirit said to Philip, it's not an angel. We've already had that here. It's not an angel present here. It's not a person that gives Philip a word. This is the spirit talking to Philip. And I would say this is probably the primary way that God actually wants to speak to us, and I would, call it, I would simply call it the inner voice. I think over the course of time, as you grow in your faith, most people that I know who've been mature Christians for a long period of time have come to the place where they have this realization that there is an inner voice prompting them, and they realize it's not just me. It's just, just this inner voice, and it's super slight, I tell you, like this morning, I, I was, and last night and this morning, I felt so strongly led to talk on this thing of generational grace. And there was a, a couple here this, this morning that doesn't attend here normally, um, and I haven't seen this lady in a long, long time. She comes to some meetings that we've done all the way down in Columbus and various things. and uh, But I recognized her, and she came up afterwards this morning, and just, just tears everywhere. And she said, I had... Um, She goes, I've never actually given words to this. She goes, but I had an incident happen this week and I didn't realize the importance of it until this morning, this generational grace thing that she talked about and released. She goes, I suffered like horrible abuse, sexual abuse, she goes, growing up from my stepfather. And she goes, it was in a particular house and she goes, that house, every time I go into it, that house would just just trigger all kinds of stuff. And then she says... "Uh, he passed away, and he was a very wealthy man. So he left money to to actually do something with the house. And since it fell to me to do something with it, she says we wanted to sell this house. And she says so I went in, and, and I I basically started doing a house renovation. She said we finished this last Wednesday, and she goes and I walked through the house, and she said and I felt the Lord saying, pay really close attention. I'm going to reveal something to you. And she says and I got it this morning. She says that house has always been a source of pain for me she goes but the healing happened when i suddenly realized that the man who abused me left me the means to renovate every room that i was abused in and she says and i actually got to to renovate and and restore that house. And she goes, this past Wednesday, I felt the Lord just lead me into every single room. And just like I was just getting healed in every single room that that happened. She goes, and this morning when you were talking about generational grace, she said suddenly just like totally clean. And that's what God wants to do. How does that happen? I, I don't know, except you get these nudges these little nudges to move in certain ways. I know we would love to see God just show up with a megaphone and go, hey, go do this. But that's not the way he normally moves. When it said, the Spirit said to Philip, there's an inner voice. And Philip just throws out a question. Do you understand what you're looking at there? The guy's like, no. Want to give me a, give me a hand? And, and as Philip opens the scriptures to him, Apparently, there's a convergence where he lands the story of Jesus right when there's some water here. And the guy's like, hey, what's keeping me from getting baptized? Well, if you believe. And he gets out and baptizes him. And, and the guy comes up out of the water and Philip's suddenly gone. Now, here's the amazing part about this story. And this is why I think the Bible spends so much time on this particular story. What happened to this Ethiopian when he left in this moment? Well, if you go to Ethiopia today... And you go to the Coptic church and you ask them, hey, who started this? They can trace their roots 2,000 years back to a man who was a subject of the, the queen at the time, who actually had an encounter with a, a man of God up in, near Jerusalem, and came back with the gospel and launched the first Christian church in Ethiopia that still exists to this day that has impacted the lives of literally hundreds of thousands of people. What happened? A slight nudge, a subtle guidance created a moment that was captured by a willing heart and launched an entire movement. Every movement that God wants to start in this earth, I believe, begins with a moment of willing heart that responds to just a subtle inner voice. Listen, don't ever stop and think that that inner voice for any it, it is no big deal. Well, I, you know, I listen, there's been times in my life where I've ignored the inner voice, and maybe you have too. In other words, I realize if I say yes to this, it will derail all of my plans and it will derail my entire day. Yeah, it might derail your entire life, but what's it worth to launch a movement that can actually save a nation? Don't mistake just the voice, of inner, the small inner voice of God. Now, how does that even look sometimes? Well, it can look something as simple as like today. I'm sitting in the hotel room today, and we're just kind of hanging out, and they're practicing for tonight. and suddenly, I just have this instant awareness of a friend uh, from high school that I haven't thought of in, in years, so I pull him up on Facebook. Here was today's post from him. Hey, guys, I don't know if you believe, he doesn't post hardly anything at all. He says, I don't know if you believe in a higher power. But my wife was just diagnosed with stage four cancer and the doctors are saying there's no treatment for it. And suddenly I look at that and I realize he came to my mind today for a reason. It's not just so that I can sympathize with him in this moment. See, there's a big difference between sympathy and compassion. I felt the compassion of heaven hit my heart in this moment. And the difference between sympathy and compassion is this sympathy doesn't know what to do about a problem compassion with passion carries the power to actually bring a solution in the moment and the fact that that I hadn't't I hadn't, hadn't thought of this guy in 20 years at least and next thing I know suddenly he comes to my mind and literally today he posts this thing I don't even know if he's walking with God but he calls out and says, if any of you believe in a higher power, he's groping at straws." And I got to believe there's two things that are going to happen here from this moment. And that is that God, God's after my friend's heart. I know that. And so I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to go after that. He and I are going to have some wonderful conversations. And, and I can't wait to share the gospel with him. And, and I know because we're friends, he'll have an open ear. But even, even beyond that, I, I don't think God would draw my attention to that if God didn't intend to heal his wife. And so I feel like this faith rising up in me. I'm like, yeah, yes. When you get these inner nudges to reach out to somebody, you think about a name you haven't thought of in a long time, and you're like, man, I just got to reach out to him and see what's going on. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. My dad knew a man years ago. His name was George Otis. George Otis Sr. is an incredible guy. And George Otis worked for a man named Bill Lear. He was the inventor of the Learjet. And uh, uh, George Otis actually was int- introduced my parents to the the Holy Spirit, and th- kind of a cool family story. But uh, George, uh, George was an amazing man of God. And he had actually built a radio station on the border between Israel and Lebanon. The Lebanese kept blowing it up and he kept rebuilding it all over and over again. The guy was like fearless, incredible guy. So he works for this guy named Bill Lear. And Bill was a cantankerous guy. And he just routinely fired people for whatever reason. And he one day he fires, uh, fires George. And George is one of his executives. But George just loved Bill. And so he didn't think too much about it. Two years after the firing, suddenly... George is like, he's brushing his teeth one day. And uh, he says, he feels this inner voice say, hey, call Bill Lear. So he picks up the phone and he goes to call Bill. Now at the time, there's no cell phones and Bill's got like eight houses and he didn't know which one he was in. He only had a couple of numbers and the first one he picks up, a guy answers the phone. He says, this is George Otis. Is Bill there? And he goes, oh yeah. Wow, George, haven't heard from me in a long time. Bill would probably want to hear from you. I'll put you in touch with him. And so he rings Bill and Bill is in his office in his home and, and Bill answers the phone and says, George? George says, yeah, why are you calling me? He goes, uh, I was just standing here brushing my teeth, and I, strange, Bill, but I felt God speak to me to call you. And Bill Ear says to George, he goes, do you know what I was just doing? And George says, how can I, Bill? He says, I was sitting here with a revolver to my head. He goes, I've attained everything I could ever attain in life. I got all the wealth I would ever want. I don't have anything left to prove and I'm miserable and I just wanted to end everything and he goes and then the phone rings and I thought well before I pull this trigger I'll answer this one last call and since you said that God told you to call me when I was about to end my life maybe I'll hear what God has to say and on the phone, George led Bill Lear to Christ. And that, two years later, Bill passed away. The last two years of Bill Lear's life, he was a solid, strong walk Walk with Jesus. Never, never underestimate the slight nudge of the inner voice. And I think God wants to speak that to you. It's it's changed the lives of friends all over the place. As a matter of fact, the young lady you're about to hear from tonight probably wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for somebody who listened to an inner voice, will you guys do me a favor tonight and welcome my dear, dear friends, some of my best friends in the whole world, Josh and Lacey Sturm? Oh,
1: thanks. <laughs> um, he's right. Uh, I that is exactly the the crazy story of the beginning of why I'm still here. Um, I'm sure there was a lot more that I don't know about. It's funny because we only see this generation we're in. I mean, we don't know who came before us and we just sang a song about a thousand generations and that's actually a scripture. It says, I will... He says, "I will visit the sins upon the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, and then I will bless to a thousand generations of those who love me." So it seems like everybody's in, included in that, right? It's kind of like a like a loophole for God or something. So um, I just think that's crazy. His generosity and um, it's like it reminds me of. I mean, I have three boys. Um, they're nine, seven, and two. And um, I don't know how many times I like really wanna do something nice for them, and I'm just like, can you just change your attitude? <laughs> like, because I really want to do this fun thing with you, and you can do it if you just turn your heart around. And I'm like, all looking for all kinds of ways to get them, you know, to come along, and they just don't believe me or something, <laughs> and they miss it, or whatever. So I literally am way too open with my kids. I'm like, listen, if I let you do this thing I want you to do while you're being this way, I'm gonna be a bad mom, but I really want you to do this thing. It's so fun. <laughs> anyway, so um, it's funny uh, how God is, he gives us children and then teaches us how he is with us. Um, if you wanna know, you're, the greatest, you know, discipleship program is probably having children and realizing they're teaching you about yourself. <laughs> the time um it's a humiliating if you process that's so liberating in the end if you really learn from it (laughs) that's not what I was going to talk about but um I'm trying to quit talking too much but here I am with a microphone and my. okay so um the thing is, Bill's talked about a lot, a lot these past since yesterday and this morning, and it's hit on. I mean, how many people have heard him since last night? I you here every time he spoke, how many of you? And it just seems like he, the Lord. Obviously, you want to hear people that the Lord is speaking through because it's like I was just thinking that. I was just asking that question, or so and so just told me that, or I just read that scripture. I you know that whole thing that the sacred echo of knowing. That voice is confirmed, oh my gosh, this is God, um and we kind of chase that around sometimes, right That's what we're doing, right um that's why we're here, that's why I'm here, kind of actually i don't sometimes i don't even know why i'm here <laughs> I don't know how I got here um, she you know um uh, the thing is I'm in a weird place to be honest, i am in and and that's kind of the ebb and flow of our walk with God is like. Sometimes we feel like we understand and we're on like the 10th step at the platform where we're at the top and then all of a sudden we realize when I mean, we're so happy and we get it and we're ministering and everything's firing and everything's great and then we walk a little forward and we realize then there's like a whole nother, you're at step one and you don't know anything anymore and you're like, there's 10 more steps up there and you feel like you can help anybody and then somebody hands you a microphone. <laughs> you're like, I guess I... I'm gonna say yes to you, Jesus. Um, so that's where I feel like I am today. Um, so what Bill was talking about for me personally is that um, just my the story that God wrote into my life, <laughs> he's got this choose-your-own-adventure style of writing, I think, um, he's got all kinds of plans, right? And there's all kinds of futures, which I think we miss that too. We think God is this like, we either think he's not involved at all, and we just it's all on us, or we think he's like totally con- controlling, and no matter what we do, we're just gonna fall into it. But I think he's got this cool way of combining those things together, and um, and he's like, I'm gonna take you on an adventure if you want to go, and we can get there several ways, or you know, we can do this the hard way or the easy way. You know, there's all kinds of roads that lead to this place. I'm gonna bring you no matter what. And then there's also things you're gonna miss, you know, chapters you won't read that are really cool if you say yes. And he's always like, it, it, and it's because the reason, there's a, and Jeremiah 29, 11, that verse, you know, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. In that scripture, he's talking to people who are about to be exiled into captivity. <laughs> he, he has told them several times, y'all need to turn around, there's bad things gonna happen. If y'all don't turn around, y'all need to quit doing what you're doing. Several times, Jeremiah's like, they're not listening to me I don't know what to do and God's like listen just tell them to surrender now to the enemy because if they surrender I'm going to bless them if they fight they're going to die so um, just tell them and and then in that moment they're going into captivity and he's like listen I have plans for you for I know the plans I have for you they're to prosper you not to harm you to give you hope and a future it's like he's constantly going you want to say yes now Anytime you can say, Yes, I have a plan for this. No matter where you are, no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter if it seems like it's never gonna turn around, there's no hope left. Just turn to me right now. Is there breath in your lungs? Just say yes right now with that little breath. Just say yes. Just say yes. I have a plan for this. Let's do this this time. I can make this so awesome. He's like that splatter paint. I can turn this mess into a masterpiece. You know, like, well, I can turn that into a really cool ocean. And this is a sunrise. And but it looks like a splatter paint of chaos. And there's nothing he can do with my life. And he's like, okay, how about you just take that to me and listen. I'm telling you, just let, just say yes to me. I can make it all. I can make it all something. And so, obviously, two years of that guy's life, he walked with Jesus. God had really amazing plans in that moment that Bill was talking about, and his friend listened. And we actually, it's weird he told that story because that just happened of us the other day where God put somebody in my heart, 1.30 in the morning, and we actually called that person in the middle of them trying to take their life. And my husband and I, am the whole time I'm going... I'm gonna call this guy at one thirty in the morning. My husband's really. I was like, "How does that?" You know, it was just awkward. <laughs> you know, I'm like, but I couldn't get away from it, and so I did. And and Josh and I talked to that person to seven in the morning and led him to Christ, and they they're still here. <laughs> That's Jesus. I feel weird. You're clapping for me because that is all the Lord, and, it, and 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 we can clap for the glory of God because He's the one who has life in His hands. He really does and sometimes he interrupts that process and sometimes he allows us to make our choices. And um, I was rescued at least two and then one, well I I would say three times when I was in that place of wanting to end my life. And um, one time I was rescued by a, a train of thought that shifted to people I love. And that was nobody intervened. That was God. Do you know what I mean? There was not a person there. My, my train of thought shifted to, to my brothers and sisters. And um, I was 13. And the second time, I was 16. <laughs> and I wrote a book about that time. Actually, I, that moment in thir- at 13 was in there in that book as well. Um, but, and that's kind of a long story. And somebody stopped me at the door of a church following an inner voice um, because I was going to go leave and take my life at 16. And then when I later on in my 20s, after I was a Christian, I knew Jesus and I had fallen into this decept, deceived place um, where I thought that I was following God into a, an affair. I thought he was, nobody understood me and I thought I'm following God, you know, they just don't understand us and it was a deception. I was deceived. That's why the scriptures are so important. They will correct us every time. And actually the scriptures are what discipled me more than anything else. The scriptures are so important. We can't, you know, we need this Holy Spirit and the scriptures together. The letter, the Bible says of itself, the letter kills. But the spirit gives life. But again, the spirit without the scripture, I'm going to testify um, if you think you're following the Spirit, but you don't know the Scripture, it, you, it, actually, we can end up following our feelings and following. You can't test the Spirit without that Scripture to tell you, actually, that's not God. Lace And people can come into our lives. And if you're a really tenacious person like me, who can talk yourself in and out of whatever, then no matter who comes in your life, how well-meaning, you can tell them why they're wrong. So that was the, the third time. And I was closer that third time um, than the other other two. And somebody actually showed up at a hotel room where I was at the time and, and um, spoke truth to me. And, um, and it was so much truth. But I wouldn't have listened if I didn't feel understood I think a lot of times people start speaking truth without the person that they're speaking to even feeling heard or seen or understood at all. But once the person explained their own story and that they understood where I was coming from and they weren't saying I was wrong, they were just saying, hey, listen, XYZ happened to me. It was exactly what I was going through. And now I could hear (laughs) And then he's saying, and I thought this. It was everything I thought. Oh, cool. You know what I mean. You know what's going on. And then all of a sudden he's like, and I was deceived. (laughs) I felt understood so I could hear now. Um, And he said, do you see how when you talk to this person, confusion comes? Do you see how the light, there was light and peace in the room, and now this darkness has come back, and you're back in this place? And he was teaching me to discern the spirit. In, in in a conversation to discern when the Spirit's on something and when it's lifting and when, you know, I'm, and so it was, so in that moment, I, you know, I came out of that deceived place and just clung to the scriptures and thought, I'm not gonna listen to the Spirit anymore because I don't know. I'm just gonna, if it's not in the Bible, I don't. And little by little as I just, just devoured the Word and locked myself away and, um, I started to hear scriptures come up in my brain. God started speaking to me, and scripture's like, I think that's God, that's the scripture. And then I start to follow the scriptures, and little by little, I followed not just the scripture, but also the spirit and scriptures together. And that's the most important thing ever. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I recently went through a season where I was praying about, there was, there was somebody who was in charge of a, um, She's actually part of a suicide prevention movement. Her father had ended his life. And, and she started this movement. And all these kids that are, you don't even, does, does anybody know what I do for a living? Does anybody know? Nobody. Wow. One person. Okay. Um, well, I'm a musician. Um, I, I sang in a band called Flyleaf for 10 years. I was a rock singer I toured with all kinds of bands that I grew up listening to and um, went on this adventure with God after those those things happened and um, I guess I should tell you that story first and that probably will be all I'll be able to get through because it's kind of long um, but when I was younger when I was growing up my mom she's a single mom with six kids at one point she had there were six of us and we were in We were struggling financially, and she'd always say, you know, um, God's gonna take care of us. And I would watch God take care of us. Her car would break down on the side of the road. We'd have nowhere to go, and somebody would pull over, and probably one of those angelic encounters many times for us on the road. um, Somebody would show up with food. We wouldn't have anywhere to go um, to sleep because we wouldn't have rent, or we'd get kicked out or evicted, and somebody would open their house to us. I watched God, and my mom would say that. And then when I was um, 10 years old, My aunt, who was a teen mom at the time, came to live with us. And her little boy, Kelton, was raised alongside my little brother. They were the same age. They were like brothers. And by the time he turned three, she married a man and moved out of our house and went um, to Houston. And that was a couple hours from us. And while they were in Houston, that man that she married beat my cousin to death. And I thought, I thought God was supposed to take care of us, you know, um, He was only three years old. You know, I thought, how could God not rescue him? I know, I mean, he's supposed to take care of us. And I became an unbeliever at 10 years old. And I began to also decided that I was going to stay sad for my cousin because I felt like it was loyalty to his death. I felt like it was wrong for people to be happy in a world where bad things happen like that. Either you're naive or you're messed up because either you don't know bad things happen or you do and you're still happy. And that's great. Kind of screwed up. Like, what's wrong with you? And um, and so I hated Christians. I hated people when they talked about God. Um, I would always try to convince people it was a fairy tale because I thought it was liberating. And um, and if somebody told me something was a sin, I would go do it because they're not going to control me. That's just controlling. And but the truth is, actually, what's so amazing about God is that He actually gives us freedom. Not control. He's not controlling the way. He, people can be, and the way sin can be, <laughs> he actually gives us freedom and says, um, listen, this is life, and this is death, so choose life, and you'll live, and what I didn't realize is every time I chose sin, it was like my soul would die a little more, and a little more, and i feel more and more dead inside, and um, I've heard somebody say, Bill Johnson, I think, says sin is... To the soul, what sickness is to the body. Um, And I could totally, I mean, I was dying. And so, of course, you'd have to do more to get over that thing that, you know, feels so gross and empty. And it's not a cultural thing. Like people say, oh, it's cultural, you know, they're putting this guilt on you and you have to work so hard to get over that guilt and, you know, because it's not real, you know, you're free. (laughs) It's not. It's actually because we're made in the image of God and that's not what we're made for. Sin is actually missing the mark of love. That's all it is. And when we repent, it's not feeling crappy about it. Repent is change your way you think and go towards the mark of love. It's actually an active thing. It's not like, oh, I feel crappy. Now I'm I'm repentant. No. It's like, oh, that's not the way I'm supposed to be going. This is the way I'm supposed to be going. And so what happened was... (laughs) I had the. I, eventually, I didn't want to wake up anymore. I was so dead inside. I felt so dead, and I just wanted to be done. And was tired. It exhausts your soul to live in sin all the time, and constantly justifying yourself. And I and I and I didn't want to wake up anymore. So I, I planned to end my life. And on that day, I had been kicked out of my mom's house. I was living with my grandmother in Mississippi, and I. Came home from school early and, and my grandma was home. She wasn't supposed to be home. She was supposed to be at the hospital with my grandpa who is, had had a heart attack earlier that week and I was in the hospital for that and she was messing up my plan already. I was, I'm walking in the door and she's like, she, she's like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Something's wrong with you. Are you skipping school? You're supposed to be at school. What are you doing? And then she's like, you're going to church. That's your punishment for skipping school. So like Wednesday night, who goes to church on Wednesday? I don't know, but we, Wednesday night apparently they were having church and she's like, we're gonna go and I was like, I'm not going to church. I don't, I don't and I finally told her how I really felt because I was like, I don't care what you think anymore. I'm, I'm ready to end my life, right? So I was like, I'm not going to church. People are fake, blah, blah, blah And my grandma, she's just like, excuse me? Um, you're in my house. She, she's a strong Southern grandma. I don't know if <laughs> Pennsylvania people know about that, but She's like, she will knock you across the room. No, she, well, she will. Um, and she's like, not in my house. You're going, and you're going, and you're going tonight. And, da, da, da. and she screamed at me for an hour before I just finally, if you'll just shut up, I'll go just to not spend my last day on earth listening to you scream. And I, and I just, I consented. And so she took me, I sat in the back of the room as far away from everybody as I could, hated everybody in the room, hated the preacher more than anyone. And he begins to speak about everything going on in my brain. Like he's reading my mind. And I'm really freaked out by that. And he says, he starts talking about all the things that I'm so empty over, and all the things that had gone on in my family. I don't even know. I mean, he's just talking about random families and just spelling out my life. And uh, it's funny. I've told this story a thousand times. I'm how old am I? 39? <laughs> I'm 39 years old. That was when I was 16, and it still is amazing that I'm that I'm made it past that day. So much has happened since then. I had no vision for my future, and God had plans. You know, it's you know He was talking about everything going on in my head, and I was like, the devil, of course. Suicide is a demon. I'm just going to say that. Depression is a demon and, 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 and it wants to kill you. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we sit around and dance with these demons like they're really part of us. It's a lie. Right. And the devil is afraid of you knowing who you are. Right. He doesn't want you to figure it out. And I know that now, but then I thought, oh, this is just me, this is who I am. And I thought I was being loyal to being sad for my, I taught myself how to be depressed. If I caught myself being happy, I would say, no, you're supposed to be sad for your cousins. You know, this place is messed up. You can't be one of those happy people that acts like nothing bad happens. And anytime something sad happens, I would write it down in my journal. Anytime somebody said something mean to me, I would write it down in my journal. I would just take a list of all the bad things and tally them up. That's how you, I taught myself to be sad. It's actually exactly the opposite of what God says to do. He says, think on things that are lovely and pure and worthy. Who knows that scripture? Some preachers say it, yeah. I don't know. Ning things, yeah. What is it, Philippians? Four eight. Philippians you. thanks, Bill. Um, so it's exactly what God tells you to do with your mind. That's what our meditation process is meant to do. It's meant to make us like, um, to feed us. It's actually chewing. It's called like, eat the word of God. It's daily bread, you know? And what I was doing was I was chewing on lies all the time. And I was consuming this. Even when it came by, I was like, oh, I'm gonna catch that and chew on that hateful thing. So I cried myself to sleep every night. And that's how I went to sleep. I didn't feel right unless I did. And so um, at that moment, when I, when, I, when he was started talking about all these things, I was like, "This is the demon started going, you've gotta get out of this place, that's weird. <laughs> get out of here, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. I was like, I gotta get out of here. My grandma had parked her van right in front of the church doors and was not, didn't even come in. She's was standing there, so I don't sneak out. <laughs> I totally would have. And so I'm like waiting for the service to be over, and the demons are like, get out of here. And I'm like, where am I supposed to go? I don't know how to go anywhere. And I'm thinking, I'm stuck here, and I hate everything and everybody. And this is freaking me out. And then all of a sudden, the preacher stops, and he says, Brother Edgar, I'm gonna say his name, Brother Edgar, because I never say his name. Um... Actually, Jack Taylor and him knew each other, which I didn't even know that. He would come to Pastoral Baptist Church in Goldport, Mississippi. I know, and somehow I know Bill, and Bill knows Jack, I don't know. Um, so so he, Brother Edgar starts saying, he stops what he's saying, here's the Holy Spirit change, and he just stops, and it's real quiet in the room, and he says, there's a suicidal spirit in the room. And he says, please come up here and let us pray for you. God has a plan for your life and he doesn't want you to die tonight. And I was like, no way. I'm not going up there from all these Christians and like, there ain't no way I'm getting out of my seat. And so he stands up there and looks like a fool, okay? So when God actually speaks to some to you and you actually do it, do not worry about the results, okay? Come on. Worry about you saying yes to God, <laughs> Okay. my pride would not let me go up there. And also, pride will steal your miracle if you let it. So it's not, you know, like, what am I even proud of? I'm about to go die, but I can't go up in front of all these Christians, right? Pride will steal your miracle. Don't let it happen. It's not worth it. I just, the whole time we're worshiping, I kept praying, Lord, take away the stage. Take away the stage because when we worship, it's you and Jesus, you know, and so many times it's the hardest thing for people in this generation to get the eyes off of them. Even when they're by themselves. I remember thinking in tweets when I started doing using Twitter the first time. I was like, oh my God, my mind is thinking in tweets. I'm like, I'm never gonna be alone in my brain. It's always for somebody else. Like, I'm like, this is gross. I don't like it. <laughs> because you're always thinking of performing. Like, what? oh, this is a funny moment. Let me share it with everybody. Oh, this is great. Let me give it to everybody. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can't even watch a freaking bug without, I'm sorry, I said freaking. (laughs) that come across? I'm sorry. On the grass and without taking a picture, making a cute caption and giving it, I can't just marvel at it with God in that moment. It's like, and I'm like, Lord, please take away the stage because we aren't the same person when people are looking at us as when they're not. Who you really are before God is when no one else is looking with you and God. But if we're in worship and we're thinking about people's eyes, we won't enter in. And you need to, be that, that you need to know that place so you can have peace. Because there is one Savior. Jesus is the Savior. There's one Father, there's one Teacher, there's one Lord. That's God Almighty, and we all need to know how to enter into peace with Him. And we can't do that without being still. And you can't be still if eyes were on you in your brain. You know what I mean? And so pride wouldn't let me come up to the front. So finally, he looks awkward up there. Nobody comes up to the front. Suicidal spirit's not coming up. Maybe he got it wrong. Hopefully he keeps going. And finally he says, God let, he says, is there anyone, okay, he says, is there anyone um, dealing with depression You know, he's in heaven right now. He doesn't, he knows now. But I never got to tell him, thank you for this. Um, And so some people came up dealing with depression. They prayed for them. And the service kind of, the music, you know, was 90s uh, worship music. (laughs) Really amazing music, actually. like saved my life, I think, in the end. But I was like, okay, I think I I can go. So I get up to go to the back door, and a man stops me there, a white-headed deacon. Brother Dick Partridge, I'm going to say his name. I never say his name. I call him Poppy now. We talk on the phone or we text and we still are in relationship. Um, he stopped me at the door and he said, the Lord wants me to speak to you. And when I looked at him, he was somebody I would never have looked twice at. I would have walked right past him. I would never thought I could connect with that guy. I had judged men because of the pain I'd seen and the women who had the the way they raised me, and I expected they were all the same. And this man looked at me with the purest love I'd ever seen in a man's eyes before, and it's, it's, it made me sort of freeze and question, like, wow, why are you looking at me like that? Like, I felt his pure love, as, like the Father's love in his eyes. Like, and that's exactly what he started talking to me about. He said, you've never known an earthly father. And the first thing I thought was, I don't need a dad. I was a strong woman, <laughs> you know, and um, I need a dad. And then he showed me why I needed it. It was like, crazy because it's like he's answering my thoughts. He says, you've never known an earthly father, but God will be a better father to you than any earthly father could ever be. And he has seen you when you cry yourself to sleep at night. And I was like, That is the most lonely moment. And I had a vision in that moment. I could see all the times that I cried myself to sleep from when I was little. And I saw the Lord putting me to sleep. You know, the Lord is the one who gives you rest. And if you ever had a good night's sleep, it's because he gave it to you. There's so many gifts we don't know. And we don't give him credit for as a father. He's a good father. And he said, it's like he was like, I was meditating on all these sad things. He was like, that's enough. (laughs) He said, said, you've been rehearsing your pain. And he said, there's been pain in your life from your sins and from the sins of other people against you and your family. He said, but Jesus died to take all of the sins and the consequence of sin in himself on the cross so that you don't have to carry it in you anymore. And he said, can I please pray with you and ask Jesus to take the pain out of your heart? And I was like, one little flicker of a yes. It was almost like, okay, you can try it. Because <laughs> I was just gonna go die. And so I just, so I said, okay. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, God, I pray you'd wrap your arms around this girl that you created. The prerequisite maybe was that he, God knew this guy, Brother Partridge, he knew... This man and loved him. He was a son, obviously. Uh, I don't know why he would love me, except that that this guy he liked this guy because I was so blasphemous. But when he said, "This girl you created," I realized, well, actually, he he is connected to me. He created me, you know. Like this, thinking about it, back on it, and realizing he's he's trying to say she's yours already, <laughs> right? So he, so when he said that, God, I prayed, wrap your arms around this girl he created. I was in the presence of God. And the first thing that happened was I saw my life flash before my eyes. I saw everything that I had thought was love that wasn't. I saw all my sins. Um, a lot of times people will say this when they have a near-death experience, they'll have a life review. And the first thing I understood about God is that he is holy holy is totally i did not know what holy was before that at all any concept of holiness and it's it is so perfect it is the kind of goodness that can create a universe 14 billion years ago with a word and make it function until until we are alive today and, and he makes your heart beat and he makes a baby born and like formed and it lives and survives and breathes and the air is perfect and nothing. And the, the fine tuning of the universe, that is holiness. The fine tuning of the universe. If one thing was off, it all be smoke. If one thing was off the other direction, it, it'd just be fire. There's no way that we could be alive without the intentional perfection of God. That's the truth scientifically. There's no, there's no explanation for the fine-tuning of the universe. No one knows <laughs> except Christians. except people who believe in God. And it's amazing because I, I was such a jerk atheist. I was so proud of my superiority in thinking that. But in that moment, I saw the holiness of God and his goodness and perfection is so perfect. And if you say you're good, I'm a good person. In front of God, it's like, you would never be able to say that. You will never be able, you can't say I'm a good person in front of God. It's like saying I'm tall next to a mountain or, or I'm big next to an ocean. Or actually, I'm big next to the galaxies. Like, it's like so ridiculous. It will never come into your mind to think in that moment because it's fearful and terrifying to say, oh God, I'm a good person. <laughs> You'll never think to say that. You'd recognize the lights came on and you know who you are. It is your own recognition of truth in the presence of God. And it's terrifying. It's scary. Especially as an atheist who blasphemed God. So all my love that I thought I had was actually selfish and conditional and nothing like true love at all. And I I knew that God was love itself. And when somebody does something really nice for you, it's like... um, and you know you don't deserve it. You're like, oh no 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 no. no. I can't take that. Right? Has anybody been in that position? This is like times a zillion. Was that a number? It's like you would. It's like you are like he's so much. Like you want to hide. And I knew that if he cast me away forever, it would be justice and good and right. And I wanted him to do that because I was terrified. And I, well, you want justice in the presence of God. You you agree with him. Okay, what was crazy is he never looked away from me. I, I, I don't. I knew that he was present, and he never turned away. Like that thing that that uh, Bill did with the chairs. It was like he never turned away. But there was no way for me to hide myself. Like he would never turn away. I saw my whole life. He saw it with me. He was with me all of it. He, no, we can't hide anything from God. We think we're hiding ourselves like a little kid with a blanket over our head. He went, Get see me you know like we can't hide from him and he's not turning away from us if he did we wouldn't exist <laughs> he doesn't turn away from sin <laughs> he became sin <laughs> we turn away from our own sin we turn away because it's awful to see who you really are in the, when the light turns on we think that we're something we're not when we justify ourselves and i saw that's the amazing, amazing thing I saw my whole time of justifying myself. All my conversations were I was really loud and like, well, they did this and no, 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 and I'm nah, 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 and I'm talking about and half my conversations were justifying why I was right in all the things that were sin <laughs> and it's her fault and, and she did this to me and I felt sorry for myself all and it was, none of that mattered in the presence of God. I saw that it was wrong. It was between me and God, nobody else. And, 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 and I knew that I always knew. I was never looking at somebody else to justify myself before them. I was actually justifying, trying to justify myself before God. I spent so much time saying there's no God because I knew there was a God. And I didn't know I knew until I'm in front of God. And I knew in that moment that I always knew the truth. Do, do, is, is that, does that make sense what I'm saying? It's really hard to understand if you're not there, but it's real. And when you meet God, there is no excuses for anything. And I knew I deserved everything I was getting. Everything that I, everything that the worst, I knew I didn't deserve to exist. And I was amazed I wasn't dead. Like I, I was encountering God for real. I don't know if... And I take for granted that everybody who receives Jesus has this experience, but they don't. I realize now it's very special. I realize that I don't have any understanding of why God would be so merciful to me. But He is very, He's very, very just and merciful and good and perfect in everything He does. And at that moment, the, the, as I understood all these things about God, <laughs> He, I I understood he was drawing me close to him, which is terrifying. He was saying, I can make you new if you let me. (laughs) That's what he was saying in the middle of all that. He's like, I can make you new if you let me. I can turn all this, I can make you new if you let me. And I remember the next day waking up in my room and that was the worst part of, that was like, oh, I didn't die last night. Usually the mornings were horrible. I was like, I don't wake up, up, I'll do another day. I didn't die yesterday. And this was different. I woke up that morning realizing I was woken up on purpose. (laughs) Realizing I didn't die yesterday. Why did you save me? And I I asked this question in my heart, I felt his love again. Just, I'm on purpose. I didn't ever feel like fuck. my mom, a single mom, I was the second of six kids. I didn't I feel like a burden, another mouth to feed. I didn't feel like I was intentional. I thought it was an accident. My mom and my mom actually was counseled to abort me because she was 15 when she had my brother, 16 when she had me. She almost died with a 15 when she was 15. And it was only 10 months later she had me. And they told her it wasn't safe. And then I, we both almost died when I was born. They said, you need to... and I. And I, I realized, I thought I was an accident. <laughs> I thought I was a mistake. And I was lucky to even have food ever. And I always you know, felt guilty if I took it. But in that moment, I woke up and I realized I was on purpose. <laughs> God made me on purpose. He made all of us on purpose. You, and then I, I, I love art. I love bands. I love music. I loved at the time. And I would write down all the lyrics to the songs I liked. I would draw the album artwork in my notebook because something about the artist, the art says something about the artist, right? And all of a sudden I realized about me being created by God. And I, 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 I watched how that was important. I was on purpose. And I, and I walked to school that morning looking at the trees, <laughs> And the birds hearing them sing and thinking about some this album artwork with these birds on it that I had drawn, and looking up and seeing birds that were breathing and singing and making more birds. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like the artist of artists. Like you made like living birds. <laughs> and I'm like marveling over this drawing of a bird. And then I thought, and then I looked up and saw the trees, and I realized. You know, I, I had drawn these, this same thing with a tree in the middle of a a place, like in the middle of a field. And I look up at this tree and I realize, you've made every tree that's ever been formed. It's all on purpose. It's all intentional. Like this, you know this tree, you know where it came from. <laughs> I'm like freaking out a little bit at God being an artist. And then I get to school and I sit in this cafeteria and I'm looking around at all these people I had hated the day before and I and I hear the Lord whisper, these are my masterpieces. And I became fascinated with people. Each work of art says something about the artist. Every one of you has a different DNA, has a different fingerprint. You can tell who you are a zillion different ways, from distinct from every person that's ever lived and ever will live. That's That should blow your mind, and that should help you to stop comparing yourself to the person next to you and trying to be anything that you're not created to be. (laughs) You are intentional on purpose, created by God to do what only you can do, this perspective only you have, the the things that only you'll experience, the way that you experience them. You're made to, to do a ripple effect like only you can do it. And you don't understand the impact of just your breath. You won't know. You won't know when you get to heaven how many lives you impact just by continuing to breathe. Um, and I didn't know. <laughs> and I, again, I've been, I, I, with the music, all I did was um, write songs that, Somebody told me, I actually didn't want to be a musician. I'm not a fan of music. My husband's a musician. He's great. Um, I, uh, my mom was a musician, and I actually was resentful towards music because I felt like it sort of took my mom away from me a lot more than I wanted. And um, I was like, no, mom, I don't want to hear another song you wrote. I want you to come home, <laughs> you know. Um, and I heard a sermon about somebody who said, God that told the story of the talents and if you have a talent don't hide your talent and God actually says that one, you wicked lazy servant I gave you all stuff like you're supposed to make more with what I gave you and so I was like oh I love God so much I'll just if he wants me to play him a song in my bedroom I'll do that and so I started writing songs to him in my bedroom just for him and um people started asking me to play songs at their meetings or like the cop the Different places and I would just say, for you, this would be for you, and I'd close my eyes and just be me and him. And it was really awkward because it took me a while to get there sometimes. And I just play the same chord and then finally I'd feel I'd feel alone and I'd start to sing and I'd open my eyes and there'd be people crying in front. (laughs) The the happy people crying. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, you wanna use it for something, okay. This isn't about you or the person, it's about me and God. (laughs) so God used that and gave me a stage to be a rock star I, I, um, I think it's crazy because so many people want that kind of thing and I wouldn't wish fame on my worst enemy I've seen it destroy lives but actually if we <laughs> if we can what those worship songs say you know Sing praise in the presence of our enemy, who hates you. It is the funniest thing ever to look at us, to, to to see um a, a place that's filled with a devil who hates you and tried to kill you, and praise the Lord right there. <laughs> so I got to go into bars and I got to play with like all these bands like Corn and Slipknot and all these bands that that I that actually fueled a lot of my depression and sadness because they're seeking truth rock music actually a lot of it is just looking for justice and they're mad about the same things Jesus is mad about (laughs) and they don't know that Jesus is mad about those things too so they they don't understand that he's actually for them (laughs) so they think they're fighting and this is what my problem was I thought I was mad at God but a lot of the things I was mad at were things he's mad at too And so, I'm, so I get to go stand on stage with people who hate God, and I get to worship God and scream about it. <laughs> and I get to talk, and I get to sing these songs that came out of God delivering me from suicide to a bunch of suicidal people, and they don't even know what's happening. And I get all these emails coming, your I, your song came out in the middle of me wanting to end my life, and I, I, I and I decided to look you up, and, and 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 your song saved my life, and I'm like that was Jesus he wanted to talk to you he wanted to save you he you know we're defeating the enemy when we say yes to keeping breathing (laughs) he doesn't want because what is the enemy's job to still kill and destroy but God came to give you life and life more abundant full it's actually to overcome our job is to like be in the presence of the enemy and eat our meal drink you know, drink the blood and eat the flesh of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. He's done, He's he shed his blood for you to be totally, totally forgiven, totally free and totally have a reset and a start over and a clean slate and to be new. And then, then what What does the devil have to say? The presence of the blood of Jesus, shuts the devil's mouth. He has nothing to accuse us of anymore. Right? That's what Bill's preaching. So recently we had somebody in our life who we loved, like a daughter. And um, God took her home. And He could have rescued her, right? He could have. I've heard so many stories of people's lives being rescued at the last minute. But He decided to take her home. And I kept thinking about there's not one sparrow that falls to the ground God doesn't know and i have to be able to know that there's there's so many times where we get stuck on what happened that we can't change that we can't fix that what, what what could we have done to make things all these things and there's and we get stuck there and we're looking over here at that thing but there's somebody right here at our feet that we're not looking at <laughs> that actually you have a you have an assignment here and it's actually an adventure to go on with God. And there's, there are lives connected to yours. And yes, he, can, he doesn't need you. He can change the train of thought in somebody's mind and take them a different way. But he likes using us because we're his kids. He's training us. He's training us to be like him, to love like him. So he's like, you want to come and work with me today? He's like, I got stuff we could do. It's an adventure. It'll be a great story. Come on, let's write a story together. Just say yes. Come on, just say yes. My son, my two-year-old, is so good at this. He's like, "Mom, mom, come on, come on, come on, mom, come on, let's go." I'm <laughs> like, "You're such an influencer." It's like, it's like I don't even want to go with you, but I'm gonna because you're so, you're so influential, and that's actually how Jesus is with us. He's like, "Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on." But we ha- but He actually is waiting for our yes. It's 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 gonna be good. It's gonna be good.